0: everyone welcome into episode 27 of without a mic podcast i'm roger baugh this is spencer cook and we are super excited to be talking about this show today stranger things part one so this is uh, <laughs> this is the, po- the show where we do uh, movies tv industry updates live topics we cover a lot of things on here uh, one of the things that we try to do is bring you the latest, greatest on the newest content coming out. So, one of the biggest and most anticipated shows of this year has been Stranger Things season four. Came out on Netflix uh, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Um, but they dropped all of it in a large chunk. It was a very long show. Um, some of the episodes were almost two hours long in the first part. So, this hopefully has given you enough time to have seen it, um, so you can come hear our thoughts, because there will be spoilers, which we'll put in the description, but Spencer finished it last week? Yeah, yep, yeah, it was last, last week. Last week? Yeah, there's so much, we were just talking about this, but there's so much stuff to see right now, and so much stuff to watch, that uh, consuming Stranger Things Season 4 for about, what, six, seven hours right now, is a it's a lot. <laughs> so... We're we're here for it though. We're here to talk about it, and we're super excited because I I'm just going to come out and say I think this might be the best season they've done. Um, I think it's it's uh, it's this is a this feels different than previous seasons. I'll say that, and I think it's for the better. Uh, yeah. What were what were sort of your initial first impressions before we get into the nitty gritty? Yeah, I mean, so
1: first and foremost, you know, I did not know this back then, but when season three came out i i binged it watched it super fast and i was like oh you know like the next season's gonna be out next year okay well then COVID happened and then now three years Mm -hmm. later we finally get the next one so i decided not to do that just in any case that you know i needed to space things out so i kind of watched one to two episodes every couple of days and then i went out of town so then that kind of held me back a little bit which honestly Mm -hmm. was kind of nice because now i'm like oh wow the volume two comes out in two weeks you know it's kind of nice knowing That I don't have this huge separation or this huge break, um, but I think you kind of nailed it on the head. I think w- if you look at it from a well-rounded perspective, my initial thought process is this: this season speaks to the more greater audience than it has before. So I think you know, right. season one was very much for. The, You know young adults almost like college kids. It was kind of like this nostalgic feel of like oh, what it would be like to live in the 80s Yeah, yeah, (laughs) and then season two in my opinion was kind of disappointing I thought it was it was an interesting take and where they went with it, but it definitely set up a lot of the storyline Season three I thoroughly enjoyed more than anything because I just loved the energy it brought That was very much like the most nostalgic quote-unquote vibe but then this season mm-hmm. is definitely more it's more real. It's more mature, it's more it's darker. It has this yep. it has this genuine fear attached to it rather than this childish fear. And I think that's what's kind of separating the two is that there's before you you felt this limitation to fear, and now it seems like they've kind of unlocked it. So in my initial thought process is I've I've very much enjoyed Volume one, I felt like it went by really quickly, which is kind of funny, because you mentioned it, I mean, each episode in volume one was an average of 75 minutes long, which is insane. Um, But I I think it went by really quickly, I'm excited for the last two episodes, which I don't know if anybody knew that, but there's only two episodes in volume two, I'm sure you already did know that for everybody listening, but they're going to be the longest episodes of the entire series, so Mm -hmm. I'm excited. I think there's a lot to pull from this, this, season that, you know, we can definitely dive into.
0: Yeah, I want, I think, uh, sort of mentioning the previous seasons is important here, because I know a couple people that I've talked to, friends and family, that have said, I've never really been into Stranger Things, it's kind of silly, it's kind of like just these kids running around, and I think what this reminded me the most of is, uh, is actually Harry Potter, because Harry Potter started out as very much, uh, and we talked about this in our review a couple months ago, but the first two Harry Potter movies, they felt like kids movies, you know, there were, there were a few scenes in there that were a little bit, you know, quote, unquote, scary for kids. But for the most part, you know, it, I feel like it fit the age of the main characters in that story, where they're going to school, they're sort of experiencing all this magic, you know, there, yeah, there's a villain, but we don't really see him that much. And when he shows up at the end, it's, it's very brief, but the majority of it was about, you know, these kids and their lives and sort of their, their day to day stuff of like school and, figuring out their wizards, and I think Stranger Things season one sort of mirrored that a lot, where it's these kids, they like to play D&D, they're best friends, you know, they go ride their bikes through the neighborhood. Obviously, this had more of a prevalent, you know, antagonist with, you know, the Upside Down and the Demogorgon and all that stuff, but I think as the seasons have progressed, just like as the Harry Potter movies progressed, it's gotten a lot darker, it's gotten a lot more mature and it's sort of grown with the characters right so like as harry potter progresses as the characters get more mature so does the story and the content and the presentation of it and i think this latest season was by far the most mature was by far the most graphic was by far the most deep um, and explored a lot of things that we haven't really seen much in the previous ones because i feel like it gave that up for sort of that childish like adventure stuff and i think that's what might have turned some people off to it initially is just saying oh you know it's just a bunch of kids running around I'm not really interested in that but I think if you haven't really liked Stranger Things or haven't been interested in it or haven't enjoyed the first couple seasons this one might change your mind if you're into more intense mature like heavy stuff because it definitely nails those Um, and you know I think the finale is going to deliver on or part two is going to deliver really well and, and carry this along and probably raise the stakes more so I would I would say this actually might be for those people who wanted more from Stranger Things but didn't get it what yeah I'm kind of about int- that
1: I'm intrigued though because like if somebody told me I just hate Stranger Things or I don't like it right if they started on season two then I can understand but like season one first of all it was built it was it was made as a standalone season they didn't know if they were gonna get more so they, they built this whole story that could kind right. of be wrapped up in one season and mm-hmm. in my opinion like there was so much curiosity to the season you nobody knew what the upside down was that was a kind of a perception that wasn't introduced until the kids figured it out halfway through the season and then the same right. thing with the demogorgon you didn't see the monster till i think the last two episode like the second to last yep. episode and so there was this curiosity that was just built throughout the entire season which i think added to the originality whereas mm-hmm. you know season 2 they they went in a, a direction of Kind of diving into each individual character and giving a backstory and kind of painting this personality for each character so that you definitively knew who everybody was. And then season three right. was kind of this summer. Now it's summer. Now let's get into the nostalgia of summer. So if somebody mm-hmm. came to me and they're like, I don't, I did not like Stranger Things. That is always kind of intriguing to me because I, first of all, I held off on watching Stranger Things when it first came out. A bunch of my roommates would always get together every week they would invite people over and they would watch it and I would always I remember I would go out into the kitchen grab cereal and milk and just go right back into my room because I just didn't <laughs> care to watch it like I had no right desire but then I finally did and I understood I was like okay if you if you watch it for what it is and what it's trying to provide to you it's a it's an exceptional show it's very nostalgic it's very it's a love letter to the 80s it's very you know creepy it has its fearsome moments and so I've always kind of been curious with those with those points, but I will say for any of you out there who said, hey, it is too childish, or hey, it is a little bit, you know, it's, it's not serious enough for me, then yes, I completely agree. This season will fill that void. I just right. find it interesting. I would love to talk to somebody who feels that way just to kind of get their points and to dive in deep because it's one of those seasons where I think if every single person watched it, you know, relative to age, I think they'll say, yeah, you know, what? that was an enjoyable season, you know, like, or that was an enjoyable show. Maybe they won't continue it. Maybe they will. But I think for the most part, it'd be difficult to critique in a heavy sense and say this was a terrible show.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And I think you put it better, put it better that what I was trying to say was, I don't think if, if you don't like Stranger Things and it doesn't appeal to you at all, this fourth season won't change your mind. But if, like you said, if you think it's a little too light, a little too childish, hasn't really interested you before then I think this season might pull you back into a point where you enjoy it. Um, but overall, I, like you said, I, I don't think you can look at season four and, and as a individually as a show and find a lot of, you know, issues or shortcomings with it so far. Um, but there are, there are a lot of things that I really like jumping into some of the positives. I like that they're exploring more depth in these characters. Um, And I think that's something that the show has been lacking um, because they, I, I mentioned this earlier, but I think they've sort of sacrificed character development a little bit for telling a story and like fitting in all the things they wanted in previous seasons. And I think in this season they finally took a step back and they started looking at certain characters, Max, Eleven, you know, some of these other characters that like Max has only been, she hasn't been in the show the entire, you know, in the entirety of it. So some of these newer characters, you know, getting a little bit more glimpse into them, developing, you know, Hopper a little bit more. Um, that, that's something that was nice to see, and it didn't feel like they were, like, forced trying to get to the next thing. It really slowed down at a lot of points, which I really liked. You know, there wasn't as much action as there, I feel like there was in previous seasons up to this point. And usually when the, uh, the, the big bad shows up, you know, they, it's very extreme, at least in seasons two and three, like they, they sort of lean into that very heavily. And this season, again, you sort of had a little bit more of the season one vibe, where it's like, we're not going to show you everything for a while, just because, you know, what you're seeing is so like, crazy and graphic that, you know, we'll let that speak for itself. And then later on, you'll meet Vecna, who's the villain. Um, and obviously, you know, this is spoiler filled, but his progression um, to figure out his backstory, who he is, where he came from. It all felt more natural and it felt more satisfying for me because they took the time to sort of develop him instead of like rushing him out and being like, here's the villain, here's a bunch of crazy stuff he does. It's like, here's a couple things he does and sort of the the threat of him is almost as scary as the reality. And now we can sort of develop him a little bit more and we'll sprinkle in a couple of these killings along the way. But it really gave you sort of this uh, satisfying sort of summation at the end of episode 7 when you find out who he is and it all comes together. So I think I think that was super well done and it made, you know, it made the villain a lot more relatable and interesting and and scary, honestly.
1: Yeah, and you know, I I think so I'm, I'm going to touch base on that, but real quick, one thing I like about Stranger Things, at least season 4 is they're diving into kind of the realistic talent of what they have to offer. So so many people mm-hmm. have have asked me, you know, they're like, hey, why why is the redhead, they, they say, why is the redhead girl like so big on the poster? And I'll tell you right now, I, have, I am very high on Sadie Sink. I think she's gonna be an incredible actress for years to come. She's already proven her worth in Stranger Things, the Fear Street series that was on Netflix, which was in, very enjoyable. And then of course, the Taylor Swift short, um, the short film that she was in. And I, I just think she can portray her emotions really well. And people aren't Mm -hmm. gonna like to hear this, but I think that you know, if you were to separate these actors, let's say 10, 20 years from now, I think Millie Bobby Brown and Finn Wolfhard will be in the blockbuster roles, while I think Sadie Sink will be the acclaimed actress. I think she's gonna be the one taking the smaller, more authentic, more independent, more more emotion-driven roles, while these other ones Mm -hmm. will be in the Enola Holmes and the Ghostbusters and the bigger films you know, that are right. that are more for the fan service. And so that's one thing that I really liked is that they're, they're kind of giving a lot of screen time to Sadie Sink and her character, which mm-hmm. like you mentioned, Max has been in it, I think since season two. And it, yeah. you know, for any other show you'd say, yeah, well season two, that's pretty early on, but a lot happened in season one. So the fact that she's getting a lot of attention is kind of a big deal. And so I think that, you know, to, to kind of wrap through to your point of, you know, Vecna's story, I think you know it kind of gave character to those scenes with Eleven because to be honest Mm -hmm. that was kind of my least favorite aspect of season four were these scenes with Eleven back in this kind of reality but because it, it was part of the backstory of Vecna that added a whole new dimension at the end where I could reflect and say now I appreciate those scenes now it makes a lot of sense why those scenes were heavily favored and we saw a lot of it you know, whereas when I was watching, I was like, why are we going back to this? Why is Eleven, you know, have a, why does she have a shaved head again? And why is she going through this experience with Dr. Brenner? And that's a different scenario. I, I personally was not a fan of them bringing Dr. Brenner back, but that's a whole different, you know, situation. But I like that it gave character to those scenes that I was not fond of, but
0: then at the end I could reflect on and enjoy them. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Uh, specifically, and you you sort of put to words what I had not realized that I felt, but, you know, those flashback scenes were my least favorite part of the show, and I'm personally not a big fan of flashbacks in anything, you know, I feel like it needs to be used sparingly and very specifically to be effective, but I feel like shows or movies or stories that rely too heavily on flashbacks cause, it causes problems, you know, just because it, it sort of, I feel like it takes away from the story in some ways. Um, and I felt that, you know, going through, I was like, you know, I want to go back to the other kids cause all the other, all the other parties, I should say, were doing more important things at the time. And so watching, you know, 11, just go back and go through these exercises and stuff. It was just, for me, it was pretty boring. Honestly, I was like, okay, you know, yeah, she's going through this. Um, and I do think it was, even despite giving us Vecna's backstory, I think it was a little bit drawn out. I think they could have cut that out a little bit more, focused more on the other kids, you know, but I think, like you said, as soon as I figured out that was Vecna, he was number one, he was there sort of, you know, going through this experience with her, you know, that gave it a lot more value and did raise the uh, appreciation for it for me, um, but again, I think it was a little bit drawn out. I think if, if I had to point to one negative for the show so far, that would be it. It was just the, the focus and the, I guess, the time they spent on 11, I think they could have trimmed it down and, and made it a little bit more engaging because really not much happened there until the very end. And I felt like it could have, you probably could have cut out, you know, probably a good 10, 15, 20 minutes of that and just sort of gotten to the point a little faster.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I, you know, to Millie Bobby Brown's point, she said that she thinks there's too many people in stranger things. She's like, we've agreed. We already had a big cast and then we've only added more people. Right. So the original mm-hmm. cast was already a good bunch. And then they added Billy. And then they added uh, Maya Hawks character. I forgot her name, but who worked at uh, scoops with Steve. Oh, uh, Phoebe? That, no, is that it, it? it's going to, that is going to kill me. I don't, I, I forgot her name, um, but yeah, So then you, and then in this season, you, you obviously have Eddie, and you're just continuing to yeah. add characters, but, you know, to be frank, you're not really taking any away, and to Millie Bobby Brown's point, she was like, we need to kill off characters as much as we love yeah. them, and it was kind of a bold take, but, you know, when you think about it, there's so many, like, <laughs> when you go to season one, there's, there's Joyce and her scenes, and then there's the kids. That's kind of like the storyline. Mm-hmm. You see Joyce and the kids. Joyce and the kids. Robin. <laughs> that was her oh, name. Oh, Robin. That's her name. Yeah. And then in season four, you have Hopper's situation with Joyce. And then you have Murray. Mike. <laughs> yeah, with Murray. And then you have Mike and Will and and that situation going on. And then you have Steve and them and all that situation. So you have all these multiple kind of screen points going on and Ken's made a good point. She was like, it's kind of hard to keep up to date with everything that's going on and like remember what was the last thing from this character's situation. So I want to present the question, A, do you think that this is kind of the right track and B, who's been your favorite kind of like section of
0: screen time? You know, which which group has been your favorite to watch in season four? um i so i think that i agree with millie bobby brown um and not to get super into it but i feel like i so lately we've been watching kenobi and i haven't been a huge fan of that series and i think one of the main reasons in it without getting too much into it is that there's no risk tension stakes for any of the main characters like we know they're all gonna live we know they're they're gonna be in sequels so Anytime that Kenobi or you know Darth Vader or Leia or anyone in that show is put in a situation where it should be scary, it's just not because you know they're going to survive. And I think in Stranger Things, I've also felt that way about the main characters. Right? Obviously, you had you know different characters throughout each season. I feel like there's been one sort of minor character dying, whether it's uh, Sean Astin's character as Bob in in the previous seasons or Barbara or Billy. You know, they bring in these characters that are expendable and then they kill them, you know, as sort of the, the, ten, the you know, that's the tension or the high point of the show is when they, they die. And so you're like, oh, you know, that was someone actually died. But the main characters, you never really feel like they're at risk. Um, you feel like they're going to walk away. And I think that's, uh, that's okay. But I feel like with the direction and the step they've taken with the show, I think it's time to start killing some people. Especially because there's only one more season after that. And so I think it would raise the stakes. You know, if they kill off one of these kids, like, you know, like a Will or, you know, something like that, then it would just sort of shock you into being like, oh, this is like, the stakes are real here. <laughs> like, you know, and, they, and they've already started exploring, like, the trauma of Max with Billy passing away. So I feel like it fits their, their vibe going forward. Yeah. Um, so who, would you, who do you think is...
1: I mean, I have no idea what's going to happen in the finale or in, in Volume right. 2. I assume, my personal opinion, I assume Vecna is going to die. Who who from the quote-unquote good guys do you think is going to die in the finale of Season 4?
0: I don't know if they're going to kill anyone. That's the thing. is, I, I feel like if there were someone to die, it, it's, I feel like it's not going to be Hopper. It's not going to be Joyce. Um, murray maybe you know because he's kind of a minor character um they spent a lot of time on max so i don't see that happening i honestly think the character most likely to die would be will just because he's Mm. sort of been isolated you know they've had a couple feel-good moments with him so far you know with him and mike about being friends and you know they focus sort of on Eleven's struggles in school but he's also struggling and he feels very isolated so i think he would be the character most likely to be killed um And I think it's far enough removed from season one and two where he was sort of the focal point where he had that connection to the upside down. Um, But to answer your other question, I think the most interesting group so far would be a toss up between Hopper specifically and then the Steve Robin sort of Nancy group. Um, Because the other kids, you know, they're going to Utah, you know, they're they're in California. And that stuff has been, you know, interesting to a point. But I feel like that also took a while to get going. Um, but I feel like what's happening in Hawkins and what's happening in Russia are the two most interesting storylines right now. And everybody else is sort of figuring out something so that they can later come in and contribute. So, you know, road tripping and 11 going through all these memories, you know, that stuff has been, you know, needed, but not necessarily the most interesting in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I definitely think Hopper is like the most Entertaining and intriguing a because he's he's the lowest of the characters right now in my opinion I think he's 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 definitely like he has the shortest end of the stick and he has the biggest opportunity for a comeback You know where everybody Mm -hmm. else you know to your point. He has the biggest like risk going on right now He almost died. He's obviously at the low of low and then now he has the biggest redemption story waiting to happen whereas everybody else Mm -hmm. they're kind of like in this this middle ground, and you know, if I were to think about somebody dying, you know, you got to take the logistics, right? So I do think personally, I think they need to kill somebody of the main cast in in the finale. And but you got to look at it from okay, we can't take away anybody that's going to be like a massive fanfare. So like Steve, I don't think you can kill Steve. He's too big of no. a fanfare, you know. And to be they honest, they wanted like, to
0: kill him in season one.
1: <laughs> I, I saw that. Yeah, I saw yeah. the Duffer Brothers had that originally written. Um, and by the way, their redemption in season one was going to be Will's dad instead of Steve. You know how Steve came back with the bat? It was apparently mm-hmm. supposed to be Will's dad, which I'm happy they did not go that route. Yeah, um, same. But when you think about, like, I don't know, I, you say Will, I think they need to keep all the kids together, like, throughout it all. As much as, like, I actually think it would be intriguing to see them. I think that would kind of, it, it would kind of put a wrench in the mix a little bit. I personally think somebody like Nancy would be a really good character to kill because... She was my yes, second choice. <laughs> you're you're going to care about her, but not to the extent of, like, this show is ruined because she's gone. You're going to be like, wow, like, that was a really intense move, but, like, probably the right one, you know? So I think somebody yeah. like her, um, and there's not really another character like... I mean, I guess uh, Jonathan is kind of another one that you'd maybe feel that, but, like, I... I think Nancy's kind of that well-rounded person to, if you're going to kill one of the main cast, I think it would be her.
0: Yeah, I think the only reason why, I mean, there's so many ties to Nancy. Like you said, she's not one of the original four kids, um, or I guess five with 11, but I think she has enough ties to so many characters that it would be felt by everyone. Um, I also feel like, you can t- sort of tell in the writing who took a step back because Jonathan's playing, in my opinion, a very minor role in this season. Mm-hmm. Will, so far, has played a very minor role in this season. Mike has played a fairly minor role so far in the season. Um, Nancy's Since played a major one. Role. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Max has started taking on a major role. Lucas even has had a, a little bit more minor of a role um, than he normally has had because he was sort of running around with the, the basketball team for a while. And so he wasn't as much involved. So, you know, if you're going to kill off a major character, I think Nancy would be a great choice. That was my second pick. I just think Will has sort of removed enough from everyone right now. He's he's definitely the least prevalent of the main five characters, you know. And so I think he would be this the safe choice for them if they wanted to kill somebody off. So,
1: Well, to to your point, I almost think they... It once again, my own logic here, and I have no idea what the show is going to do, but I think they might do it opposite. I think the reason why I believe Nancy is going to get killed is because she has so much screen time, she has more screen time than she's had in any other season. Like, oh, yeah, she and I think they're doing that to give this bigger emotional feel of her leaving the show at the end. Whereas, like, if Will left, it'd be like, oh, that kind of sucks. Like, we didn't even see him at all, like, he didn't have a well rounded ending, you know. Which, to your point, I think Will has been the most shafted character of any character in this entire series. He's just been like, every season, he just has the most terrible situation going on. He can't just enjoy himself. Um, And then I don't know if you knew about the birthday thing or if you've seen the memes for it. Yeah. So His birthday any- was
0: supposed to have happened.
1: <laughs> yeah, so for anybody who doesn't know, you know, during the scene where at the, the roller rink, um, it says March 22nd, which is Will's birthday. So apparently it was wor- Will's birthday. The writers had no idea. They literally didn't even think about it. They said that they, they were forgot. as surprised <laughs> as everybody else was, and they just kind of rolled with it, which kind of just fit the vibe because Will was very depressed in that episode. And so yeah. I'm hoping to see more... You know, maybe this is a good question to kind of transfer to. What are you hoping to see more in Volume 2 that you didn't see in Volume 1?
0: I think, obviously, the focal point is going to be Vecna, you know, going forward. Now that we know, you know, everything kind of came to a head. And they they tied in past and present and Eleven and him and all these things. Um, Obviously, Nancy's dealing with him right now in, in real time as that episode ends. So... You know, she could die at the beginning of this next episode. You know, she's in the, the Vecna sort of throne room area right now dealing with him. But I think we're going to see a lot more Vecna. I think Hopper's about to take a big leap in something. You know, right now he's kind of surviving. He's being more reactive. But I think opportunities for him and Joyce and Murray to be more proactive are coming. Um, I think Eleven's going to get her powers back very soon. And obviously she's going to have to go help and fight. Um, but I think, uh, you know, at some point, Mike and, and Will and Jonathan are going to have to make their way over to Hawkins somehow and meet up with everybody. Um, and, and, and that's sort of what I, I think sort of, I think everyone's going to kind of continue how relevant their storylines have been, you know, some of them will ramp it up a bit more, but you know, at at the end of the day, it's going to come down to, okay, now Vecna's here, you know, we got to take him down. How do we do that? Oh, we need 11 where is she great um and i think hopper and joyce and murray are going to find some way to get to hawkins from russia through some sort of upside down portal um that that makes the most sense for them to be able to help out i actually think it'd be cool if they don't actually end up making it back and they do something on the other side um hmm. with uh valor morgulis or what's his the, the the guy from game of thrones that's in there the the prison guard that's working with him oh um, en- enzo is that his name. Enzo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a... Uh, so he... Have you seen Game of Thrones? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, you haven't. Yeah. So he's a He's a really interesting character from Game of Thrones, but uh, that's the only thing I've ever seen him in besides this. So I've seen a lot of memes about that. But, <laughs> do you um, feel like
1: they're, they're going to leave the season on a cliffhanger without the group coming back? Or do you think that they're going to bring the group back together, have this really... Redemption oriented moment and then leave on some type of cliffhanger. Like season three was left on a kind of a sad note, but curiosity because you're like, is Hopper alive? Is Hopper alive? You know, but it wasn't right. a cliffhanger. It was just like this moment of curiosity. Whereas, you know, I, season one and season two, though they weren't massive. Um, cliffhangers, they did leave you on a like, oh my god, something is happening for the next season. And they did that in the very last episode. So how do you think they're going to do that? Do you think they're going to bring everybody collectively together? Or do you think they're going to have this kind of cliffhanger and say, well, you're going to have to wait till season
0: five for us to bring the whole gang back together? I think they're going to do a cliffhanger. Like I said, uh, the Mike, Will, Jonathan group is sort of the most removed, I think, from something important happening. Because they're looking for 11, right? So... She's, there's going to be a point where they meet up with her and she needs to be where Vecna is to some degree to deal with this, right? Because I don't think anyone else is equipped to fight him. And this whole buildup with Vecna and her in the past, you know, in the facility is going to lead to them having some major battle, of course. So I think at some point, all the kids will be together. My only question, I guess, is whether or not Hopper, Murray, and, and Joyce will make it back. Like I said, I think it'd be kind of cool if they stay in Russia and end the season with them being there just because I think if they can affect something on the other side. But I kind of feel like they're going to bring everybody together. We have probably about five more hours of content in season in a part two. So I think at some point they're all going to meet up and have to hoorah it all together. But Five? Like I said, I, I, <laughs> what are you thinking? What do you think of Willis? With the five more hours, the last two episodes are about Five hours total. Cause of, you got what an hour short. and a half and two twenty. Is that what it is? Is it an hour and a half? I thought it was about two yeah. hours. Yeah. So
1: the first one is like an hour and a half, and then the second one is is two twenty. But yeah, you're not oh, far okay. off. Like we do have so a lot of hours. content. <laughs> yeah, we do have a lot yeah, of content. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I think you know, with that much time, they're gonna want. Th- this has been a, a building season. You know, it's all about building. So there's been a lot of foreshadowing and a lot of build up and anticipation. So I think they're going to do what everybody kind of wants them to do, which is bring everybody together and have this big Vecna showdown. So yeah, that's what I think will happen. Almost
1: reminiscent of season one, to be honest, is like getting everybody in the house together, you know, at Mm -hmm. the end of season two, which in my opinion was the only good episode was bringing everybody in the house together. And, you know, I'm kind of thinking about it and this is our first villain with kind of a like an a conscious actual personality yeah like an like a conscious yeah personality like somebody who actually mm-hmm. can like think for themselves which is kind of right. crazy to think about because you've had what you had the demogorgon you had the demodogs and the mind flayer yep. and and then you had the That's giant it. i don't even know what that giant monster was called in season three but you had this giant monster but all of them were wasn't like that just, the mind flayer I, think I that thought was the, the mind, mind flare. Oh, I thought okay, maybe that was. I don't know what they called the. Oh, the shadow monster. The um, yeah, that's the that's the one from season two. So you had the demodogs mm-hmm. and the shadow monster. Then you had the mind flare, the big monster, and then Vecna is finally like a person. It's a person mm-hmm. that, you know, and I think there's a lot to learn from this circumstance. I know that they showed a preview, and maybe I just missed this, but of uh of one turning into Vecna and like the circumstances of how like that transition happened of him going into the upside down and everything.
0: That was the um, end of the season in the okay, last episode. Like, it, it was I, kind of him falling into the upside down. And then as like over time, it showed him. Okay. Like, for some reason morphing. I
1: didn't, I did not remember that. And so I was watching, I was like, oh, that's <laughs> intriguing, Cause I was watching all these like kind of playbacks and, and kind of getting familiar. And obviously you had that moment with Sadie Sink's character, Max, floating in midair, which was a very powerful
0: moment. Um, the Dear Billy episode. Yep. Yeah. That was, that was obvious. I, I don't want to say obviously, but for me, it was the highlight of the show was that scene and uh, Kate Bush's uh, Running Up the Hill song. That whole coming together of everything was so perfect. And that song is now a top 10, you know, on iTunes because it's a great song. But when you put in Stranger Things in the right moment, you know, it, it just hit. So I think that was the most emotional, powerful moment of the show so far. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see what they have coming forward. But I did see um, the creators come out and sort of on Twitter, I think he said one of the Duffer, uh, is it the Duffer or Duffy? Uh, Duffer. Yeah, the Duffer brothers. Duffer, that's right. Uh, yeah, one of the Duffer brothers came out and he basically said like, yeah, with the episode, uh, Dear Billy, you know, we, we felt like we had an opportunity to do something special. Um, and and take it to a level we hadn't before, and so I feel like that episode was so was the most was the high point of the show for me, with how emotional and and involved and and vulnerable it was, and so I really enjoyed that. And it looks like they uh, that was what that was the vision they had for that episode. So,
1: well, you know, it's kind of crazy. Is and once again, I'm sure this was all scripted and well put together, but you know, considering the Will's birthday thing, I don't know what to think anymore because. You know, this, that song kind of kept this window open, right? It didn't save her life, but it kept this window open so that she had a little bit more time to figure out how do I get out of this, you know, situation. And if you think back to season one, a big reason why Will survived is because he kept singing that song, Should I Stay or Should I Go? You know, he kept singing mm-hmm. that in the Upside Down. And so you start plugging these these similarities together of like him singing his favorite song—it's kind of allowing him to prolong his situation. It's not saving him, but it's prolonging his his situation until he can figure a way out. It's the same thing with Sadie Sink, and so finding these little ties back to season one or even season two, and like these these really fine details—I think that's what's setting any show, not even just Stranger Things, but that's setting any show apart when they're able to actually go back and give a genuine fan service, not a cheap thrill fan service, but a genuine fan right. service to the people who pay attention to say, oh my God, that's an Easter egg. Oh my God, like that fits and it was so organic and they didn't put any attention to it and no pressure on that moment. Whereas to go back to a previous conversation that you and I had, so many filmmakers don't trust the audience. They just mm-hmm. they want to just give everything. And to be quite honest, you know, <laughs> and I'm not gonna touch base on this for a while, but that's Jurassic World Dominion. Like, such a cheap thrill because of, you know, they took this nostalgia and that was, they took advantage of it. Whereas, you know, you take the 80s nostalgia and Stranger Things said, cool, we're gonna make a Dungeons and Dragons type movie or show, and we're gonna really enhance the 80s nostalgia. Rather than making a show about 80s nostalgia and wrapped around 80s Mm -hmm. nostalgia, they used it to their advantage, and so, yeah, I think, I think volume two is gonna be really good. It's definitely like one where it's gonna be watch party oriented, like people are gonna be setting aside nights and they're gonna be getting food and they're gonna be getting, you know, they're gonna make an event out of it. It's because event. it's not yeah. it's not two 45 minute episodes. You know, you have, to what you were saying, almost four hours worth or about four mm-hmm. hours worth of content. So you have two movies to watch. So you could even separate Basically. one and the other and do, you know, separate them and however you want to. But I think it's going to be interesting with a season five coming. What what are they going to do to set the premise? There is serious talks about a spinoff series that the Duffers are um, developing right now. So, like, what is that going to tie into it? You know, how are we going to be invested? So a lot of questions that I have, but I think a lot of answers that I will get.
0: Yeah, I'm hoping that this season ends with a lot of questions. It, I, and does sort of what Severance did because, um, and if you haven't, if you don't know about Severance, go watch it, it's my favorite show of all time. But, but it does something that I love in movies and TV shows, and I think Christopher Nolan does this a lot. Where throughout the story and throughout the uh, movie or the show or the book or whatever it is, you have all these questions, and as it goes through, it answers so many of them. And at the end, it answers a lot of big ones, but in ways that create new questions, and then it ends. So you still get the satisfaction of closure with some of the things that have been happening, but it opens you up to possibilities and then lets those possibilities sit, which is, in my opinion, the definition of trusting your audience. You don't give them everything to where they don't have to think about it anymore, or at least wonder, I should say. Um, so many movies and shows and, and stories, you know, they without trusting the audience, you feel like you have to close up everything. It all has to be neat and tight. There can't be any like loose ends or anything like that. And not necessarily loose ends in a way where, like, you never go back to it, but loose ends where it's like, I don't have to spell this out for you. I can just kind of hint at it and then move on and you can figure it out or you can wonder. Um, I think one of the most iconic, you know, two of the most iconic examples that come to my mind are at the end of Inception when he spins the top and it's just spinning. And you see, like, a slight wobble and it makes you wonder whether he's in the dream world or whether he's in the real world and it ends and it doesn't tell you oh you know there's no after credit scene where it's like yeah by the way it's the real world or yeah by the way it's the dream world like it just we don't need that like that moment is so powerful because you don't know and the same thing with the prestige at the end of the prestige it pans over and you see all the bodies in the tanks and then it ends and it makes you wonder you know again about the story without telling you or, or spoon feeding it to you and i think that's what makes those movies so great um is those endings specifically just lend so much power to it because they trust the audience, but it isn't in a way to where they've like cheapened the ending by not giving you a satisfying conclusion. So you still get closure, and you get to wonder, and I think think that's how the season's going to end. There's going to be a closure, probably with Vecna, but then it's going to open up a bunch of things. Specifically with the final season, you know they're going to build up to that. So I think with this season... I think any show I've seen the previous season to the final season feels like it has to build up. And I th- We've seen that with Peaky Blinders. We've seen that with, um, I think Ozark did that as well. I didn't see it, but, you know, just sort of use. oh, we know we're making a last season. Like, let's sort of use season four as almost a part one in a way to sort of build it up more than we normally would so that that last season we can sort of hit the ground running and cover everything we want. So yeah. well, I like that's the- kind of what I'm expecting. The Duffer Brothers, I like that they,
1: when I listened to an interview with them, and, and they said, hey, like, we have so much content that we've been wanting to share so bad, mm-hmm. but we are waiting until season five, and that, and I respect that, because that tells me that they're not trying to just give you this cheap thrill and say, we know you want this, here, you can have it, they're saying, we have a story to tell, we have a story to build up, we need to develop this, this kind of this roller coaster of a journey for these characters, and then we can organically fit this in here. Um, So I I kind of have an intriguing question. Do you think, which which has the greater argument that Stranger Things is a top five show, like series, or that Stranger Things is not a top 10 series?
0: Which has the greater Um, argument? I'd say it's not a top 10 series. Okay. Um, And I say that because, are you saying all time shows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All time or on shows. Netflix. No, on Netflix, yeah, on Netflix. I'd say Netflix, it's a yeah. top five. Yeah, probably a top three. Yeah, maybe two, but um, <laughs> and it, and not number two. I'm oh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't know because, um, well, to, to answer the question, I think as far as top ten shows of all time, I would be hard pressed to think of one that is a Netflix show that's made the cut, like a Netflix original show. Because there's been top ten shows that have been on Netflix but not top 10 Netflix shows. And this is Mm. a Netflix show. Yeah, Um, I mean, just off the top of my head, I think if you look at, you know, you've got Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, The Sopranos, you know, um, The Office, you know, there's so many things that have just succeeded really well. I'm not sure, maybe Ted Lasso. I know it's won so many awards. That might be a top 10 all time. Um, Parks and Recs, you know, There's just so many other things, and I think we've talked about this before, but Netflix's cash cows are, you could probably throw Ozark in there as maybe a top 10 of all time. That might be the only one that Netflix has done, Breaking Bad. Um, But I think Netflix's, their best shows are very niche. You know, you have Bridgerton, which is sort of a a Victorian drama, which a lot of people like that, but it's not something that everybody would watch, right? It's not a Marvel or a Star Wars type thing. And then you've got you know Stranger Things, which is an 80s homage with horror, which again is very niche. And so I think, I think just because of how niche it is, like I still think there's a lot of people that don't watch it. Um, I think we'd be more surprised to see how many people don't watch it. I think the other biggest show they've had is Squid Game, which again is very niche, um, which also yeah, it just wasn't re- theirs. renewed for season two. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't theirs, um, but I mean, just their most watched shows. They're they're all very niche, um, and I think with something like Breaking Bad, or Game of Thrones, you know, it just that was such a massive event that was talked about, and it was it was huge, you know. And people still go back and watch those. I don't know many people that go back and rewatch Stranger Things all the time. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I I have gone back and watched it multiple times. I do think, and I am a big fan of Stranger Things. I think it's arguably the best show on netflix i think i'm gonna have to say that um it's which is hard right i mean there's there's peaky blinders there's ozark Mm -hmm. you know i don't even know if breaking bad is still on there if breaking bad is on there that's my favorite show of all time so that would be number one obviously but i do think even being a, a very big fan of the show i think there's definitely a greater argument for it being outside of the top 10 because of these these shows right now if they developed enough content for it to be seven, eight, nine seasons, that would be a different story. And I honestly think that's what's gonna keep Ted Lasso out and maybe some others, is that to have such good content for so long is such a difficult thing that I don't think anybody can really comprehend, myself included. So the fact that Breaking Bad did it, you know I have not seen Game of Thrones, but the fact that Game of Thrones did it, like I think that's a very hard thing to accomplish. And I think that's what kind of puts them in that level Is
0: the amount of good content for how long they did it? So I just looked this up on IMDb and it's the top 10 shows of all time based on the rating of the show. So, what do you got? um, So, some of these are not a surprise. Number one is Breaking Bad, Um, it's got a 9.5 out of 10. Um, The first line of the synopsis is Breaking Bad is the perfect TV show, which I think a lot of people would agree with. Uh, Number two, we have Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones at nine point two. Um, again, I think that's uh, that's not a surprise. Number three is Seinfeld, which you know I completely agree with. You know, Seinfeld's the most famous and popular sitcom of all time. Uh, number four is True Detective, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. It's got a nine. Never 8.9. seen it. it uh, they're actually making a fourth season, but um, it's a uh, it's a very deep, dark. Um, detective story the first season stars Matthew McConaughey and um, Woody Harrelson and hmm. then actually Colin Farrell and Rachel McAdams are in season two and then season three has Mahershala Ali um, but He's great. each season is a completely different story but phenomenal phenomenal show uh, number five is Dexter which I have not seen heard great things um, heard great things as well number six is The Walking Dead which makes total sense um, I haven't seen I've seen the first two seasons Not really my thing, but I know it's super popular. Number seven is Sons of Anarchy. Number eight, Better Call Saul. And I don't know about these last two, but Arrow and The Flash, which are both DC series. Oh, it's terrible. Um,
1: I will say Better Call Saul is phenomenal, and I need to watch the last season. But that is a show that took me by surprise, to be honest. Because it's, once again, like Your Severance, which is very slow, in my opinion, for the first three episodes and then Roger says it just literally takes off from there and your mind just starts going crazy. I think it's the same thing with Better Call Saul. You're like, first four or five episodes, you're like, what am I watching? And then it takes off and you're so invested. <laughs> so I think that's uh, kind of a good similarity there.
0: Yeah, I think that list, I, I would mostly agree with it except for the last two, um, but the uh, I would probably say The Office has a spot on there. Um, in the top 10 and I don't know there's you know I feel like top five is pretty definitive like I don't I was I'm surprised true detective is up there to be honest I'm not surprised because I know how good it is I just didn't realize how many people watched it but it came out in 2014 so it's a little bit older yeah, um, I think I think that list is so what's
1: tough about that? I mean, that is a good list cuz that is pretty much too that's based on the consumer, which I actually like. I like the consumer yeah. rating more than Cause the because people tell you what they're rating. watching. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I'm kind of just briefly going through this other one which seems a little bit more like it's it's right in the same ballpark but pretty accurate like Sopranos, The Wire, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, Mad Men, The Twilight Zone uh simpson's seinfeld lost and saturday night live so that one seems a little bit more like that's a little more accurate like a little bit more i don't know what the word is but not fan service but more like hey overall fan critic everybody this is kind of the Mm -hmm. general you know or at least around it i think we can agree that game of thrones breaking bad Seinfeld, those are probably going to be three of the top five on any list, at least relatively close to it. Because to your point, I love The Office, but Seinfeld is what inspired any sitcom. You know, it's the right. And I and I didn't grow up watching Seinfeld that well or that much, but I know it is the biggest sitcom of all time. And then you have Breaking Bad, and then Game of Thrones, which literally cannot be talked about enough. So. I think those three are always going to be on that list, regardless of the order.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm seeing a bunch of different lists, and I think you know I definitely there's I would say there's a very short list of iconic shows. Like there's a lot of great shows, and I think we could argue that. I apologize. That list I found was somebody's top ten. It wasn't like the official IMDb, but it did have the ratings. Oh, you did dirt me. You did dirty. I'm sorry, (laughs) but it did have the ratings. um, Oh, okay, okay, so based on this is the top actually so here's imdb's actual ratings by users which it's a little bit skewed but um planet earth 2 and planet earth are one in three breaking bad is number two band of brothers chernobyl the wire blue planet 2 avatar the last airbender which is another one that would be top 10 probably cosmos sopranos game of thrones you know there's more stuff down the line, but. I think to your point. I think there's just certain shows that are iconic. Yeah, they're very. That's a very short list, right? I think Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, um, Seinfeld. Um. Well, and this—the question I asked, you know, I asked our
1: friend, our mutual friend Mick yesterday, is I was like, "Hey, who's the greatest villain of all time?" And that's a hard question, right? Because the most iconic villain of all time is Darth Vader, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But he says the best villain, like the. The most ruthless, scariest villain, to his opinion, is the one in Game of Thrones. I don't know who this is, but he says that, in his opinion, is the most like... Oh, the Night King? I I think, yeah. He just says that's like the perfect depiction of a villain. You know, whereas for me, I'm like, okay, Darth Vader, the Joker, you have Hannibal Lecter.
0: Like, you have these like very... Yeah, the Joker's... Heath Ledger's Joker is a good... A good pick.
1: I almost think like the character of the Joker, if you think of like villain all time, or at least as far back as we can remember, like making these shows and movies, then it's like Darth Vader has lasted the longest with the Joker and like these characters just continue to evolve. Whereas like the Game of Thrones villain is a one time thing, you know? And the fact, and I told him, I was like, I think the difference is, is you tell anybody who doesn't watch Star Wars, who, you know, hey, do you know who Darth Vader is? They know who Darth Vader is. But I had no idea who this villain was from Game of Thrones because I haven't seen it. And, that, and they're just not culturally like talked about, I guess. But kind of a side note, but it's the same thing with like Stranger Things, right? Like nobody knows any of the names. Like if you talk to somebody who, did, who didn't watch Stranger Things, nobody would know what Demogorgon means. Nobody would know what the Mind Flare is. No, Like, maybe Vecna is probably the most talked about because it's just been all, all over social media, but, like, it's Well, not... Vecna's an
0: actual character in D&D. You know? oh, so oh, oh, there you go. Yeah, okay. So when they're playing D&D, you know, uh, with Eddie and they're fighting Vecna, like, that's actually in D&D. So he was taken out of the the Dungeons & Dragons handbook and... He's actually based on a character from D and D, which I actually think um,
1: most of those characters are. I actually think like
0: the mind Yeah, the Demogorgon is D&D. was as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I so mean, I it's think... all based around that. So yeah, that's a good point. I think I think the best villain. Uh, we could probably spend an entire episode on this, so maybe we'll come back to it. But I, in my opinion, the best villain is the most relatable one, and I don't. I think you made a great point with distinction between iconic and like most. I guess villainous villain is maybe the right way to say it, but <laughs> Darth Vader is the most iconic villain. But arguably, Palpatine did a lot more scary stuff than I he agree. Did. I agree. And Palpatine's one of my favorite villains because I mean he did all the dirty work himself, you know. um And Darth Vader, you know, we 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 see like hints and like insinuations of how bad he is, but you never actually see how bad he is and. Even the Kenobi show is sort of dancing around it so far. They haven't really showed much. Like, yeah, you know, he snapped a couple necks, but it's like you still don't actually see it. But with Palpatine, like, you literally see everything. Um, And I think Voldemort, that's
1: a good one, too. Voldemort.
0: Voldemort is a a good one, too. um, Because I don't know. I just think the relatable villains are the best ones. Because when you can understand their motives, I think when you can distill a villain down to a motive, and how they just chose a slightly different path about getting there. I always go back to Thanos and in, in Infinity War, which I think is the best Marvel movie, um, because his his thing was I want to stop overpopulation, which is a totally real problem. And so instead of like, you know, whatever all the fan theories are about other ways you could do it, creating more planets, things like that. His path was I'm going to wipe out half the population, so the other half can flourish, and that will solve it. And it's like. When you look at it that way, because his home planet was overrun and, and destroyed because of overpopulation, his motive was I don't want the same thing to happen to the rest of the universe, that happened to me. And when you look at it that way, you say, Oh yeah, I can I agree with that, you know, I see where you're coming from. Do I agree with killing half the population to do it? No, but I can see where you're coming from. And I think, you know, that's usually in my opinion the best thing for a villain is to get it down to a point where you can relate to them but then they can take it too far in the other direction. Um, and I think there's some exceptions, but Voldemort, seeing his backstory, sort of seeing where he came from, you know, the Riddler in the, the latest The Batman movie, very same thing, you know, you sort of see how him and the Batman were both orphans. They both had um, struggles as children, but the way that they chose to deal with that directed them in different paths, and one of them became a hero, and one of them became a villain. So I think with Vecna tying it back into stranger things, you know, sort of, you know, we haven't really seen a full origin story for Vecna because we don't know one's history. Like obviously he was the first one that they're all mapped after all the other kids, but we don't see like sort of how he came to be, how he was found, what experiences he went through up to the point where 11 starts interacting with him. But I mean, if sort of seeing, him in the house with his parents and all that stuff, you see a little bit of it, but he's a little bit more relatable than, like you said, the other villains they've had in the show so far, because they're just sort of these nebulous monsters, whereas he's actually a person with a backstory that's relatable. So I really hope they give us a little bit more on him just to sort of like round it out. Cause now we have these questions like, well, if you're all based on one, where did one come from? Like, how did he start getting his, uh, his powers and stuff. I mean, we saw a little with the house, but he's got another, a deeper origin story that'd be cool to explore.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I almost personally, you know, I don't think many people would agree with this, but I would not be opposed to a villain expanding to two seasons because we've never seen oh, that in Stranger Things. Uh, we've we've seen like the uh, the Upside Down is kind of a villain, I guess you could say, but like an actual being of like a villain. I would love to see them push Vecna to season five. And like that, I think that's the reason why Infinity War was so good, is because you left and you knew it wasn't done. You were like, mm-hmm. uh, there's so much more to happen, or to, like, there's so much more to occur, and nothing was wrapped up. And I, I kind of like the idea that everybody's so spread out now, and I know there's two lengthy episodes, but I almost don't know if that's enough to bring everybody back in to solve this issue and I think it's going to be really dark. And I think they're going to leave volume two on a cliffhanger with somebody dying at Vecna's hand or even at Eleven's hand. And then it's going to be this kind of cliffhanger story build up for season five. And that's where they have to yeah. develop and come back and figure out how to beat Vecna. Because you got to think about it. This is the not only like the biggest villain, but kind of the biggest character they've introduced up to date. Because it's literally the first like supernatural child that started in the show we we got introduced to 11 because that was kind of like the storyline but this is literally the first person that had tests done and everything and so this is kind of the biggest character that we've seen and i would actually like to see them expanded to two more or to the next season
0: i agree yeah i think like i said i've seen sort of that trend with shows knowing they're going to end using the season prior to the final season to sort of take on some of that load so that you can sort of jump right into it and get everything they want in. So I expect season five will be longer. It'll be bigger. It'll be bolder. Um, But I think in order to do that, I think that's probably part of the reason why you're seeing some of these 11 flashbacks, because I think instead of like having 11 lose her powers in season five or something like that, they can front load it in season four at the end, she gets her powers back and then like pushes that momentum into season five where she's actually doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. growing her powers more than you know trying to get them back so it's almost yeah, I, like I, you, I if you think of it.
1: harry potter um deathly house part one and part two like deathly house was very much a story build up and it's kind of what we're seeing right now like right now there's a lot of story build up a lot of different character yeah. resolutions and figuring out relationships and everything and you know l figuring out her powers and it seems like this Which, in hindsight, you know, we're going to look at it, and it might be considered the slow season. Like, right now, it's actually very enjoyable, in my opinion. But I think next season, if they do what, you know, I would hope, next season's going to be outrageously just on a different scale of story and action and darkness and high points and low points, while this one was kind of a build-up to get to that. And I hope they do it. I don't know if they will. I'm sure they will wrap this up in in a great way, but... I'm excited for Volume 2, man. July 1st, it's only two weeks away, two and a half weeks away, and uh, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yep, same. I think think I've said all I have to say right now, and we're just going to have to wait for season, for part two, and then we'll come back and do another review on everything together, but focusing more on part two uh, while we wait for the final season, number five.
1: Yeah, and I'm a big fan of uh, fan theories, so, I mean, let us know what you think is going to happen. Let's see how close or how accurate or how far off we all are from what we think mm-hmm. is going to happen in volume two. And then we can revisit it. You know, we can we can kind of pull those those fan theories and say, no, nah, this definitely did not happen. But if you do have a fan theory, let us know. I mean, we're more than happy to go over them and, and kind of see and even read those, you know, when
0: we do the next review. Absolutely. Yeah, let us know. You know, again, we're on Instagram at without a mic um, and you can find us on your, well, if you're listening to us, you probably already know where to get podcasts, but you know, head over to our Instagram. You can interact with us that way. Um, You know, leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, if there's anything you want us to review that you've been watching, let us know. You know, we're always looking for good content. So until next week, we'll see you guys later.